What a good day it is to worship God. Beautiful, beautiful day. Hey, you know, I, I was saved in the 70s at a camp meeting in an old barn in upstate New York. It was great. It was wonderful. I'd like to sing one of those songs that I'm pretty sure they sang that particular evening I was there and made my way to the altar and cried a bucket of tears. And it's a good old song, but, you know, there's a little, little tradition that goes with the song. So if you want to wave a hanky, uh, you can just do that. We're going to sing this Power in the Blood. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, working power in the blood.
So quiet in here. Good morning. morning. Try it again. Good morning. morning. Everybody doing good? You should be refreshed. A little sprinkle last night. I love it. My yard loves it. Unfortunately, I don't think it's quite enough. It's coming, so well, it's you know whatever. Well, I'm Dave Bach, and I have the privilege of serving this church as pastor. I just want to say welcome to you this morning. And uh, I haven't, uh, is Sherry Conrad in here? Sherry, she's getting ready for our potluck picnic. I believe it's still in the park because the rain has kind of moved on. Might be a little damp over there, but we are hearty Western Washington folk, right? So I hope you came prepared to eat some food after church. I hope you brought some food because it is a potluck. And uh, it's over in the park, so Riverside Park, we are in shelter number two. So after uh, we dismiss, you can get your food, take it over to the park. We'll all join uh, each other over there, and it'll be a wonderful uh, time of just fellowshipping and kind of hanging out together and eating some food. So today, right after church, shelter number two, unless I get an urgent message sometime during this hour, that's the plan, okay? All right, we got it. We sure? Okay. It's so quiet. Liven up, folk. Yes, it's all right. We were hanky waving and everything. I saw some hankies out there. It was awesome. So, all right. So, you probably received something like this. This is our bulletin these days, and there's a bunch of announcements on the back. And we talked about the potluck picnic. Um, I have a welcome and essentials class. If you are new or visiting with us, there's a little tear-off portion of our bulletin at the bottom. You can fill out your name and address, and there's a bunch of things that you can sign up for on the back. And we are looking for people to set up chairs. We are, if you are interested in knowing what it means to be a Nazarene, to be a follower of Jesus in the context of this place, uh, join me for the welcome class. There's information on that. And one of my very favorite things we do is about to kick off in September, and that's MOPS, our Mothers of Preschool Ministries. And uh, how many of you volunteer in that? We have a whole bunch of our church folk who help out with our MOPS. It's the second and fourth Thursdays of each month during the school year. And we are still looking for more people to volunteer with um, the children's portion. So nurturing and caring for like infant through age five. So if you are, if you have a hole in your calendar on the second and fourth Thursdays 
like from 9 in the morning to 11 in the morning. I need you to sign up. There's a little space on the back. You can say, yes, I want to be a MOPS volunteer. You're going to hear me talk about it for quite a bit over the next month because um, there are, well, MOPS has expanded significantly. And we have 20 more moms and their kids uh, registered at this point, 20 more than we've ever had at this point. And so it's growing, it's awesome, and I refuse to put a cap on MOPS based on a lack of volunteers, because I think that we have enough people to meet the need, and so I, I need your help with that. Um, I think that's all the announcements. You can read them for yourself. Potluck picnic in the park, shelter number two. I'm gonna have the ushers come forward at this point as we prepare for our offering. I, I did want to read a statement to you uh, in light of the events that uh, happened in Charlottesville. I, let me set that down. A couple weeks ago, I had a forum and we talked about some of the things that were uh, adopted uh, at our recent General Assembly back in June. And one of the pieces of legislation that went through was this uh, powerful statement on discrimination. And, and I think it's appropriate that we as a church know when and how to respond to things. And when we have a situation that confronts us, like the one, these demonstrations in Charlottesville, we, we need to make sure that we say, that's not right. This is not who we are as a church, but as a Christian people. And anything done in the name of the Lord to discriminate against people is flat out wrong. So, he, here's the statement that was um, part of the statement. As a church of the Nazarene, we lament the legacy of every form of racism throughout the world. And we seek to confront that legacy through repentance, reconciliation, and biblical justice. We seek to repent of every behavior in which we have been overtly or covertly complicit with the sin of racism, both past and present. And in confession and lament, we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. We are uh, Jesus' instruments of reconciliation in this world. And every opportunity that we have to proclaim that message, I want you to feel free to do so. In a loving and grace-filled way, we need to say this is not right. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have tarnished your name by belittling other people, by practicing racism or turning our heads the other way. Forgive us, help us to be your instruments of reconciliation. Help us to reach out in grace and in the love that you came to extend to all people. Lord, that's where we want to be as your followers. And where we are lacking, would you help make up that lack? That we might be spirit-filled servants of you in this world, extending your love to others. And Lord, as we continue in worship today, we praise your holy name.
And we know that you are God over all of this, that these issues that we deal with, you are bigger than them, and you can help us overcome them. Lord, we give back to you a portion that you've entrusted to our care. And I pray that the dollars that we put in these offering plates might be used to extend your gospel here and around the world, that, that through these offerings, more people would be introduced to you and the reconciliation that you bring. Lord, we love you so much. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. I thought it'd be fitting to sing this song. It's the 25th anniversary of this very, very most recorded, covered song in the last 25 years in the Christian church. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there's none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of you. Thank you. 
thousand stories of what they think you like now.
say that today. Here I am, God. You see it all. All the good, all the bad, and all the secret, it's all there. Lord, you know it all. Where we need forgiveness, we repent and ask you for grace and forgiveness. Where we need a touch from you, God, in some area of our life, we pray that right now. We give it to you and lay it down. Jesus, you're the only one who can work here. We lift up the family member to you. We lift up the need to you, the situation only you know. But God, we lift it and we want to be able to somehow let go and let you be God. Let you be Lord through this whole, whole time that we have. God, we love you this morning. It's wonderful to be able to worship you and know that our sins are covered. We have a place in heaven prepared just for you, just for me. What a great, great comfort that is. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce some guests to you. Uh, we've been talking about this family for a number of weeks and leading up to this uh, Sunday. I always uh, love it when missionaries are back home for a little bit and, and we can reconnect with them, um, hear their stories and learn how we can uh, support them uh, in prayer and so forth. And so Jay and Tiana Sunberg are here. Uh, I'm going to have Jay come on up. He's going to speak to, to us today. They kind of go back and forth, forth and tag team. And uh, I'll let him introduce the, the rest of his family. But let's give him a warm Centralia Nazarene welcome. Can we bring that down here? Is that okay? Is that all right? You got it? Okay, thanks, Pastor. Thank you. Good morning. It is so wonderful to be with you today, and um, I'll introduce my family. They're right down here in this second row here, Tiana. Family, you want to stand up? They love this part. They love this part. We actually have four daughters, and one of them is in Toronto now um, doing an internship, and then we have Sophia. She's going to be a freshman at Trevecca Nazarene University in two weeks from now. Are you ready, Sophie? 
Not quite. Okay. And then the next one sitting by her is Jenna. She will be uh, 15 uh, next week. So um, we're excited about that. And then over on this side is Lydia, and she is 16. So um, we're excited to be with you. Thank you for inviting us to come. We live in Budapest, Hungary. How many people have been to Budapest, Hungary? (laughs) All right. There's some over there. All right. Isn't it a fantastic city? Yeah. Everybody, if you go to Budapest, very hard to not agree with that statement. We love living in Budapest. We, uh, the role we serve for the Church of the Nazarene is called Field Strategy Coordinator for the Central Europe Field. That basically means that our job is to oversee the growth and development of the Church of the Nazarene on the Central Europe Field. Um, currently, uh, we have small but growing presence in 11 countries on our field. I'll name them for you. Denmark, Sweden. Wow. Wow. Okay. We're just getting started here. Okay. Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Norway. All right. This is good, Paz. This is an interactive crowd. All right. Poland. Okay. Hungary. All right. Romania. Bulgaria. You guys should, we lived there 13 years. Albania. Uh, Kosovo. And Croatia. I think I got them all. Did I get them all? Probably. What's that? The Netherlands is on a different field next to us. We have churches there, but that's not our area of responsibility. So there are churches there. Yes. Um, So our job is to oversee, to work with pastors, to work with district superintendents, to work with missionaries, to oversee the growth and development of the church in that part of the world. Now, if you know anything about those countries that I've listed, they're quite different from each other. They're quite diverse. So it's a pretty interesting um, adventure that we have. That's what we have been doing now for a while and kind of minding our own business. What? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Minding our own business, and then something happened about two years ago. And uh, that's what we want to talk to you about uh, this morning. You may have followed it on the news, but uh, do you remember seeing the refugee crisis happening? We're missionaries for the Church of the Nazarene, and part of our responsibility every other year we come back to churches, we give a report about what's happening over there. You pray, you support, you give, you do all of those things, and our responsibility is to do what we can over there and also to give you a report. So I would like to give you a little report of what's happening through the refugee response ministry in the Central Europe field. Now I know, looking at this crowd and the size that you are, there are a lot of opinions about what's happening with refugees. And Pastor, thank you for that strong statement this morning about what's happening in our country. Uh, A prophetic voice. Thank you. Um, but we're talking about what's happening in the, uh, the refugee response uh, that's been happening over the last two years. We're not here to talk about politics. We don't really care about politics. We know that uh, the press sometimes has an agenda, and that agenda oftentimes is meant to bring fear into our lives. But we're going to talk about what we ourselves have seen We're going to talk about what the teams that we work with have experienced. 
But I will say to you that we do not come without an agenda. We do have an agenda, and that's the kingdom of God. It's building the church. It's people finding Jesus. That's our agenda. But it's not an agenda of fear. It's an agenda of hope. So if you follow the crisis, you know that uh, it's connected to the civil war that's happened in the country of Syria. It's been raging over six years now, close to seven years now. The population of Syria is about 23 million people. And today, more than half of those people are displaced from their homes. More than half the people who live in the country of Syria are unable to return to their homes. Maybe their homes have already been destroyed or war is raging in their area and they do not feel safe. More than half the people are not in their homes. Some of those displaced, millions of those displaced people just go to other places in Syria where the war is not raging so terribly at the moment. Millions of those people have gone to countries like Lebanon and Jordan. And if you hear reports of what the Church of the Nazarene is doing in those countries, it's absolutely amazing. Millions of people have made it north into southern Turkey and in large camps. And in uh, the summer of 2015, the German Chancellor, Andrea Merkel, made a statement that, she, that Germany would welcome Syrian refugees, Syrian immigrants. So that began to open a floodgate of people leaving Turkey, making that treacherous trip across the Mediterranean Sea that you probably heard about. Maybe you saw the picture of the little boy that drowned on the beach that captured our hearts. And they would make it, the refugees would make it into Greece and would go country by country trying to get to Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Netherlands, uh, into Northern Europe. From September, 2000, September 1st, 2015, until the end of March 2016, 1.5 million people made their way from Turkey to Northern, uh, Central, Northern Europe to Greece, or sorry, to Germany and other countries. We live and we serve in the countries that are situated between where the people left from and where they are going. So literally, in the last two years, 1.5 million people have walked through the countries where we live and serve. What do you do when 1.5 million people begin to walk through your country? We felt we had to do something. We're a small church. We're not big. We have small congregations speckled all over Central Europe and not many congregations. We're not a big group of people. But we felt like we had to do something. And the first thing, if we're going to be any use of all in this crisis, the first thing we had to do, we had to be there. We had to be present where the, where the refugees are, where they were congregating. So we... Um, we ourselves went, we developed teams of people, volunteers from our churches, volunteers that came over from the states. We still need some volunteers, by the way. If you're interested, we'll talk to you afterwards. We set up teams of volunteers that, that ministered daily to the needs of the refugees in the countries of Serbia, Croatia, and northern Greece. Other, other uh, ministries were happening in other countries, but this is where we were every day with, with teams of volunteers. And in, the, in those days when the, when the refugees were, were, were moving, uh, thousands of refugees every day were coming, sometimes it was just 
we would hand people food or help them find clothing. And every now and then we would have maybe a couple of hours just to be around them and try to talk with them if there's someone in their group that spoke some English. Trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus, trying to be kind to them in this very harsh process that they were living through. In March of 2016, the European Union had already received about 1.5 million people, as I said before, and we're beginning to think, okay, when is this going to end? How many more are coming? So they made an agreement with the country of Turkey that if Turkey would keep the refugees in Turkey, the European Union would heavily fund them, their efforts in taking care of them. This changed the whole dynamic of the refugee response. Not up till this time, thousands of people would come a day. They would come to a location and get some food and and register and do the different things that they're doing. Maybe 3,000 would come. They would move on, and the next day, 5,000 would come. And the next day, 8,000 would come. And from that time, September 1st, 2015, to the end of March 2016, never less than 3,500 came And sometimes up to 13,000 people every single day would come. New people that had new needs. that were So uh, very, very uh, intense days. Some of the things that we did during that time, we, uh, you know, we're a small organization, but uh, we're connected to the uh, generous people, the Church of the Nazarene. We noticed that many people were coming without proper shoes. It was in this wintertime. There was snow and ice and cold. And they were coming from warm countries generally, and oftentimes they would have summer shoes on, sometimes flip-flops, open-toed shoes, and they're walking through snow and ice and cold. And um, all the organizations were there. We often didn't have enough shoes. You know, all, we're not the only ones there, of course, or many organizations working there. So we put an, out an appeal for the Church of the Nazarene to help us with shoes, And Nazarenes are generous. You know that? You Nazarenes are great. We gave out thousands of pairs of winter shoes and boots um, and were able to help them in that way. So that's one of the things that we're reporting back to you and saying thank you as Nazarenes. Maybe you have been a part of that. I don't know. But after that agreement between the European Union and Turkey, um, things changed. Now, basically, each of the countries were closed. The, The borders were closed not massive amounts of refugees moving through. Now there, there are still refugees coming and going, but more like 50 to 100, much more manageable. Um, but most of the people literally are stuck in the places where they are. So our, we continued with our teams to minister them, but the things that we did changed. We developed um, peop, uh, uh, teachers that would work with people to uh, improve their English, One of the things that the refugees experience, they're bored. They're sitting in a place. They don't have much to do. So in some places, we developed art classes for adults, and we did a lot of crafts with children, trying to to be with them and just just being with them. In the country of Croatia, our team developed a very good relationship with the local local authorities. So we were given access into the hotel complex. It's 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 the immigration complex that they have there, we were given a a space in that complex for our programs. And every Saturday, we also have a Christian service in the location where the refugees live. Now, you know 
that most of the refugees are Muslim. There are some Christians, and there are some from other minority groups, but the vast majority of the people are Muslims. But we had a Christian service in the place where these people were living. Anyone could come to our programs and to the services. Lots of Muslim people would come. Maybe they've had a relationship with someone on our team or just curious or just bored, so they would come. One day, a man came and slipped in the back, slipped into the room that was in the back in some of the programs and just watching, observing what was happening. And uh, he began coming also to the, the services that we hold on Saturdays in that place. Eventually, he made it known that he had 26 questions that he wanted answered about the Christian book and the God of love. And he wanted to meet with the leader of the group of that local group that was our, our local team to, to discuss these 26 questions. Well, the other refugees that were coming, the other people that were coming to our programs, knew this man and warned, warned our team, this is not a good man. He is one of those that you do not want to get associated with. He's dangerous. He has bad intentions. He probably is going to find a way to harm you or hurt you. And the, the leader of our group, we call him a pastor. He's also a refugee, by the way, came in the same group, but now he's, he's a Christian, of course, and he's, he's pastoring this group. He began to pray and felt like he needed to speak with this man. This man's name was Muhammad, which is a very common name for Muslim people. He began meeting with Muhammad to, to answer his questions and just talk with him. Long story short, in April of this year, Muhammad decided to become a Christian. He gave his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized. Tiana and I were in that church about two weeks after Muhammad became a Christian. Actually, we were there to organize the church as not just a church plant, but it became an official, officially fully organized Church of the Nazarene. We, were the, we did that in, uh, in May of this year. And after that exciting service, Muhammad was sitting in the back stood up and said, I have written a letter that I would like to read to the church. So the leader of the group, our, our leader pastor there said, okay, come on, Muhammad, read your, read your letter. And Muhammad, in very untheological terms, <laughs> wrote said, and said how wonderful it was that, he, that Jesus was in his life. He had peace and joy and just felt different and better in his life. And then he encouraged the church strongly to continue working with the refugees because they needed to know about the God of love. Brothers and sisters, we are witnessing the Bible stories being retold in our day. This story that just happened in April and May is the same story that we've heard in the scriptures. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Can someone tell me in this room who was the first person in the New Testament to be described as a person breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples? Saul, right? Saul described himself as a Jew of Jews, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the top. He was zealous for his God and for his religion, right? He was so zealous, he wanted to stamp out this group of people called the Way, which was the early name for the Christians. 
We saw him at the stoning of Stephen, giving approval to those who were stoning him. And in Acts chapter 9 is the second time he's mentioned. He's on his way to a city called Damascus. Where is that? Syria. Have we heard of that already this morning? We're talking about the same place, the same roads. Paul was on his way to Damascus to round up those people of the way, to bring them back to Jerusalem. He had permission from the high priest, and the purpose was to stamp out this group of people. But on the way to Damascus, God stepped into his life. God stepped into his life. The scripture said he was blinded, fell off the horse, and um, a voice came from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you remember this? And uh, Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the answer was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, right? That one interaction with the risen Jesus completely transformed Saul's life. No longer was he going around rounding up Christians to try to stamp them out. He became a leader of that group trying to get more people to join them. He also wrote letters to the church. About half of our New Testament is written by this man. And one interaction of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, transformed Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church, into Paul, the greatest missionary of the church. Can you see the power of Jesus in our, in our lives? Can you see the power of Jesus to transform and to change the direction of someone's life. One interaction with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, transformed the greatest persecutor of the church into the greatest missionary the church had ever known. And his, na his name changed, right? He was Saul, and then we, now, we now know him as Paul. Brothers and sisters, do you know that when Muslim people come to Jesus Christ, they often change their name? Guess what Muhammad's new name is? He chose it. Paul. Yes. Paul. We're witnessing the re retelling of a Bible story. It's about lives being transformed by Jesus Christ, by meeting Jesus Christ. Um, in that little church in Zagreb, um, if you go to the church, there's about 30, 40, or 50, maybe up to 50 people sometimes. They now uh, pass out the scripture reading in nine different languages because of all the groups of people that are coming to their church. And in that, in that church and in that group that they work with, Muhammad Paul, Muhammad Matthew, and Muhammad John, God is transforming lives. God is doing, we're here to say that God is doing something big in our world. Do you believe that? I don't think we're living in normal, ordinary days. I think we're living in extraordinary days that are maybe a turning point in history. And we, as the people of God, as the church, have the opportunity to be a part of that interaction to make sure it's towards something better, right? We are the church. Well, Sometimes, can we be honest here? Can we sometimes be afraid 
Is there fear in what's happening in our world with the refugee situation, these massive amounts of people that are moving into Europe? Some of them are coming to the United States and other places. Can there be fear? What are these people's intentions? They're different from us in that they have a different worldview. They serve a different God. They serve, have a different religion. But they're also very much like us in that they care about their families they're looking for a place of safety and security and peace, and they want to have a better future. We have found that when people talk about the refugees, there's a lot of fear. But when you have an opportunity to actually meet the people that are a part of the refugees, that fear kind of dwindles away. We'd like to show a video now. These video guys will help us. And uh, this is a video of a family that we know um, I will tell you the rest. He'll tell you part of their story, and I'll tell you the rest of the story as, as we, we come at, at, the, at the end. Um, but we know this family. Listen to their story. There's some writing, and uh, Tiana will read, read the script because it might be hard for you to read the script from where you are. She's a better reader than I am, so there you go. Souls Behind Fences, Idomini, Greece, April 2016. 58 kilometers north of Thessaloniki, highway to the Macedonian border at a small gas station. From afar, you can see them popping up, the tents of those that have left everything behind. You stop and enter into an entirely new world. You sit and watch, overwhelmed by what you see. Their looks are similar. They talk about the unspeakable. Walid is here with his sweet pregnant wife and two beautiful children in these miserable conditions for the past 45 days. I came, I decided to come here and uh, buy smugglers. I came from Syria to Turkey and from Turkey to uh, here by a boat. Uh, I have two children, one girl and one boy. And my wife is pregnant. She's in seven months and a half. She's very tired. Before we came here, my daughter said, where we go, my father? I said to her, we are going to a beautiful garden. I lie, uh, it's a lie, because uh, there is no beautiful garden. Uh, we are now in uh, Greece, in the Macedonian uh, borders, stuck here in this uh, miserable uh, situation. There is no gardens, nothing here. And she always wakes, wake up and she said, where is the garden, my father? You promised me with this garden. I didn't find the garden. I said, okay, be patient, we will reach. Uh, I lost everything there. My house, my job. I'm a teacher there, English teacher. And my wife also is a teacher. Uh, we are educated uh, family. Walid was an English professor in Aleppo. He eventually created a private school and was proudly educating 250 children. This was before their house, neighborhood, and life aspirations vanished, before they had to flee for security. And I am here waiting for crossing the borders. And uh, I guess... It must be open, because we are human beings here. I want for them to a uh, beautiful future, 
and uh, stay far from uh, the Middle East. I want to save them. They deserve. They are children at the end. Anywhere far from this war, it's good for me. France or Germany or Sweden or Canada or America. They are beautiful countries and uh, they respect human beings, I guess. Walid is 37, determinate, perseverant, and it shows in his behavior. But today his wife has been queuing two hours to go to the toilets, and she is too shy, eight months pregnant, to ask for a bypass. The condition is so hard. I can't uh, even walk. She wish somebody can help, help her and uh, her family. And she wish she will not get birth in this tent. She wants a better life for the, her children uh, away from war. Place where she can find peace. Justice. Walid says that no matter whose country offers them asylum, they are eager to start fresh and will easily integrate. I have no doubt whatsoever, but for the time being, they are nobody crunched between two fences where a stateless newborn will come to life on a Greek highway. So this is a family that we know well. We visited them multiple times when they were in Greece. The update on their story, their baby was born June 7th of 2016. Um, was not born in the tent, was able to be born in a hospital in Thessaloniki. But after they got out of the hospital, they went back to their pretty miserable refugee um, accommodations there. Stayed about three months and they were assigned to the country of Romania where they stayed uh, about six months. In December of this year, we had the privilege of going to meet them uh, in Romania. Romania is a lot closer to where we live than Greece. We um, packed up our van with gifts, with food and clothing. Um, uh, they were cold, so they, we, we got some heaters for them. Um, and as we were about ready to leave, I was, already, <laughs> I was already in the van. Tiana said, you know, all of this stuff is good, and it says a message of love for these people, but nothing in this van says anything about Jesus. They're Muslim people. Um, so Tiana went back in, and we have an Arabic Bible in our home. We have some Bibles as we've been working with refugees. Drove six hours, um, spent the whole afternoon with them, had a wonderful time with them, gave them the gifts. We were about ready to leave, and Tiana said, uh, we want to give you this Bible. You know we're Christians and we're missionaries. We know you're Muslim, but this is our book, and it um, is so powerful in our lives. We just want to give it to you if you'll receive it. And Walid said, yesterday, my wife Merfatz asked me, can we get an Arabic Bible? And we came the next day not knowing that, 
and brought them the Bible. So this family now is in the country of Germany. They're trying to get a better situation there. They have invited us to come visit them in Germany, um, and we will do that in the fall when we get back to Budapest. Um, we will stay with them in the refugee facility for a few days. That'll be exciting. Uh, they're still Muslim, but they're on a journey. These people are on a journey. It's no accident that God has put them together with us, and we call them friends. They call us we WhatsApp and uh, Facebook messages. Tiana does a lot uh, back and forth with them. Pray for this family. And when you remember the refugee crisis, know that you can multiply. We have met maybe a, a hundred families like this, and uh, single people as well that are coming as well. And you can multiply this story thousands and maybe tens of thousands times over. Um, we want this image to be in your mind um, when you think of refugees. But my question to, to close up here, and then we're going to show a close a prayer, is how can these people find Jesus? How can their lives be transformed like Saul on a road to Damascus and like Muhammad in a, in a group in uh, Croatia? How can these people and many more, how can they come in contact with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, so that their lives can be transformed as well? You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of the body of Christ on earth until he comes again. The only hope for these people, if they're going to have an interaction with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, is if the church reaches out to them with hands of love and serves them with the hands and feet of Jesus. And through our presence there, you know, we're just normal people. We're missionaries, but we're normal people. But as we go in the name of Jesus, we believe we carry the presence of Christ with us. And even those mundane interactions that we meet with people can be a road to Damascus experience for these people. So we're saying now is the time for the church to be the church. God is doing something great in our world. He is shaking the foundations of many places of our world. How many of you prayed for the 1040 window? Have you prayed for the 10 more? That's this area of the world uh, that is uh, um, basically the unchurched area of the Middle East, mainly the Islamic world. Uh, we're here today to make a declaration. God today is answering that prayer. This is a prayer we need to continue to, to pray for the 1040 window but it's not a prayer that we need to look decades down the road for it to be answered. Today, we are watching that prayer be answered. Today. But God surprises us. <laughs> he doesn't do things the way we do sometimes. He sometimes pulls us out of our comfort zone. We thought maybe something would happen in the world that Missionaries would be able to go to, the, for, to uh, the Middle East, similar like what happened in the former Soviet Union when the Berlin Wall fell. God is not sending missionaries to the Middle East. He's sending the Middle East to us. And so it's time for us to be the church and to not retract in isolation and fear, but to step out 
in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit with love, the hands and feet of Jesus, and embrace these people to Christ. Thank you for allowing us to come. We're here to say thank you for supporting missions and uh, for supporting us. We're your Nazarene missionaries. When you give to missions, that helps us stay on the field. So we thank you for your faithfulness. It means everything to us. For the close of our section here, we have a short minute-and-a-half video that's put out by Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. It's about their worldwide refugee program. And the video, in this, the, the, the video footage in this, about a little less than half of the footage, footage is taken from the places where we serve. Um, so you'll be able to see, when you see trains or you see Middle Eastern little, little children or whatever, that's, those, that's the places where our teams are serving. Listen to the beautiful words of this prayer. This is our prayer, and we welcome you to adopt it as your prayer as well. Let's watch the video. Dear God, we pray. For those who are far from home or have no home anymore, may they find a home in you and in your church. Lord, we lift up those who are displaced by violence and conflict in this broken world, those displaced by greed, those persecuted and pushed to the margins by violence, oppression, and a fight that isn't theirs, where they have found a clenched fist and a closed door. May they find an open hand and a loving welcome in us. Help us to see those who have fallen through the cracks and help us to reflect your love. Give us the courage to advocate, to embrace, to love as you love without boundaries or fear. Our Lord and our God, we pray. For those who have been displaced, may they find refuge in you and in your church. May it be so. Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come on back up. And we're going to close here in a moment uh, singing Holy is the Lord again. And I'm going to have the uh, ushers prepare and come forward. It's, it's our privilege to be able to... Uh, help fund uh, the missionaries that we have all around the world and uh, thank you for coming and and sharing that story these stories your story our story with us um, so if you have uh, your checkbooks or cash you know some you, you challenged us to go beyond our comfort zone um, and I think that is, I hear that in two ways. One is there are always opportunities to step out physically and go somewhere and participate, yes? Um, whether it is short-term uh, or full-time, uh, God is still in the business of calling people out of these chairs. And... If, if you hear these stories and the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart that you need to be involved in some way, whether it's with this particular uh, ge geographical location or another, um, I, I was called out of a chair because missionaries came to my church. 
And so I know that that still happens. So the first way that you may be feeling really uncomfortable right now is that the Holy Spirit might be saying, it's time to get out of that chair. It's time to go. It's time to do something, whether it's locally, regionally, or globally. uh, Don't squelch that in your spirit. Speak it out loud to myself, for Pastor Trent, or Ken, or Art, or a friend. Uh, If you keep that inside, it'll go away. So speak it out loud. The second way that uh, I would encourage you to feel uncomfortable today is you may have a a dollar amount in your mind, and, and I want you to take it to where you might just feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and that's okay, because God will use it in a very mighty and powerful way. Um, I just want to say thank you for responding to the call. And our church is one, historically, uh, who has been very generous in supporting missions and other compassionate work. Uh, I think last year we were at 16 or 17 percent of everything that came in through this church immediately went back out, whether it was to support missions uh, or another compassionate ministry. And so I want to just say thank you for being generous. And so this would be the time to feel just a little bit uncomfortable. All right? I think I got an all right. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for the opportunity to serve. Lord, make us feel uncomfortable in these moments. Because when we feel a little bit uncomfortable, I think that's when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. I, I don't read anything in all of the biblical canon that says being a Christ follower is something that would make us feel comfortable. You are always calling us beyond the boundary lines that we like to draw around our lives. And sometimes, Lord, we have to admit that we do act out of fear and we retreat because we want to be comfortable. And I just pray for my people today that you would revive us, refresh us, that you would instigate, that you would light a fire in us that would take us beyond the boundary of our comfort. Whether that's calling us out of our chair to go and do or to participate in some kind of ministry that, that just might cause us to retreat sometimes, or whether it's to go beyond what we think is a financially good decision to help support our brothers and sisters around the globe who are on the front lines bringing your gospel to people who don't yet have it. Lord, I pray for Jay and Tiana and their family, their, their girls as they're here in the United States sharing their, their journey with us. I just pray that this time would not uh, become a grind and something that 
drains them of energy. I, I pray that this time would be refreshing for them, that you would uh, rejuvenate their spirits, refresh their bodies, that they would find encouragement as they travel around telling their story and that each time they tell it, that they would just have a new excitement and passion for your work that they're involved in. Lord, we thank you for bringing them to us today and for the timely story. Lord, we pray that you would bless this offering. We've heard a little bit of a report and I'm sure they could tell us stories on, upon stories of the marvelous work that you are doing and reaching these um, people who are caught in this crisis. Lord, show us where we can step in and be involved and give us the courage and boldness to step forward in faith. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.